to all our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this Election Day Special Edition podcast. This show is dedicated to the late Congressman Elijah Cummings. It begins and ends with a powerful message he shared about his mother's final words about the importance of voting. One year ago today, on my mother's dying bed at 92 years old, former sharecropper, her last words were, do not let them take our votes away from us. They had fought, she had fought and seen people harmed, beaten, trying to vote. Talk about inalienable rights. Voting is crucial. And I don't give a damn how you look at it. There are efforts to stop people from voting. That's not right. This is not Russia. This is the United States of America. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelso on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, highlights, and uplifts the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Today's guest is Ms. Jessica J. Mitchell. She's an experienced political and campaign strategist who has worked on Long Island and throughout the tri-state area. Ms. Mitchell is skilled in grassroots organizing, campaign management, and legislative action. In addition, she has been an adjunct professor at Stony Brook University School of Social Welfare for the last four years, where she has taught courses in policy, macro practice, and political campaign management. Ms. Mitchell is currently a PhD student at the Wurzweiler School of Social Work at Yeshiva University. Ms. Mitchell is here today to speak about the importance of social workers participating in social and political action and how to motivate students and colleagues to get involved. Uh, so before we get into the uh, bevy of uh, information that you're going to provide for our listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about how you got involved in political social work? Sure. So I... I've always been interested in politics. Um, it's been a part of my life since I was a kid. When I was 18 and an undergraduate student at Stony Brook, I actually walked into Tim Bishop's re-election campaign. Um, I was like, I want to volunteer and spent a couple of months working on getting him re-elected. Um, I went back to school as soon as I was done with my bachelor's degree for a master's in public policy and ended up working in foster care when I was done with that. And while I was there, I saw a lot of the inequality that exists in our system and just how broken it is that we're not really helping families. Um, And I went back to school for social work after that. And when I went to school for social work, I did that because I really wanted to study people and study what they needed out of their government and what policies would best assist, you know, in making the world a more equitable place. So... It, while at, you know, while in school and even after school as an adjunct professor, I've really found a group of people who can be motivated into, you know, taking political action, mm-hmm. learning more about the system um, in a way that I was never able to before. Um, and it's been great. I lo- One of the things that I never thought I was going to like to do <laughs> or wanted to was to teach. 
Um, and it's been the most surprising part of, of my journey and my professional life was realizing how much I like teaching mm-hmm. um, and how great it is to teach, you know, groups of students who year after year it never fails, um, you know, are motivated in whatever way that they can get involved because that's really my part in this is mm-hmm. motivating people to do what they are capable of doing and for some people they walk into my classroom and they've never been registered to vote before or they have been and they've just never voted and they'll leave and remember to vote in every election after that for some people that means you know studying issues that they really care about and having a conversation with their elected officials about it for some people it means totally changing the course of their life and going on to intern and possibly work in government or in politics in one way or another Um, But it's important to plug people in where they want to be and where they fit. And with social work students, you get people, you know, of all different backgrounds and all different, you know, specializations in different policy and social areas that can make a difference at every level. Okay. Um, So in your opinion, why is it important for social workers to get involved in social and political action? Because, you know, a lot of times social workers roll up their sleeves and they, they get, you know, down to the grassroots of helping organize individuals, helping people to just survive from day to day. And it's very important. But why is it important for them to take it to the next level and get involved um, in social and political action? So as social workers, every part of society should matter to us, not just the individual, but the larger societal issues that are impacting that individual. Um So I tell all of my social work students that it doesn't matter if you are coming into school right now and you plan on graduating and getting your clinical license and opening up a private practice and that's what you want to do with the rest of your life. That's great. We need social workers like that. Some of you, that's why you're coming in. That's what you're going to do when you graduate. You still have to care. It doesn't matter because the societal issues that are pushing these people into your clinic are not going to be solved if all of all you are doing is paying attention to the individual problem. So we have to pay attention to the larger problems because someone's coming into your office because they can't feed their children and their children were removed from them and they now need to get therapy to get their children back. Um, but how are you going to assist them beyond just coping to get their children back if you're not advocating to make sure that we have appropriate housing for people who can't afford it, that we have affordable housing for people with low incomes, that we have a food stamp program or SNAP benefits that are actually working for people and allow them to feed themselves and their children. Um, Not only that, even if, you know, that's not the clientele that you're working with as a clinical social worker, your license and your ability to bill insurance companies and to actually get paid for your services isn't just decided because of someone's good graces. It's decided because a government regulation tells you that you can practice this social work, tells you that you can bill for this type of work. So even if that's not your area of expertise, you still have to care about your own livelihood. And I think it's important for us as social workers and for you know the organizations that represent us to remember that, that we're out there to advocate for the government to make sure that you know we as social workers are getting paid appropriately and that you know we're being reimbursed for the services that we provide as well as 
you know, the societal issues that our clients are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Because most of the places that we work outside of private practice are places that our paychecks are coming from the government. If you're working in foster care, the court system, you know, probation, any of these different areas, whether or not it says, you know, New York State or U.S. federal government on your check, that's where the monies are coming from. There's some tie to to some government entity. We as social workers and, uh, you know, yourself and myself being social workers as well, um, part of the NASW Code of Ethics says that we are required and expected to pursue political action so that we can obtain social justice for those who are underrepresented and those whose voices may not be heard. That being the case, then, what is the best way for uh, a student who's studying to gear themselves towards a career in political social work and hopefully elevating to an elected position? Yeah, so I would like for, I tell my students every semester, the whole class, I would like for all of you to leave here and run for office, but I know that you're not all going to, so we're going to find other things for you to do. Um, And like any other aspect of social work, the best thing to do is to intern in it while you're in school, because first of all, you want to see if you like it and this is what you want to do on a day-to-day basis for, you know, at least the next couple years of your life. Um, But it's also a great opportunity to network and meet people. Um you know, beyond just the office that you're working in. And, you know, Stony Brook has done a great job of, you know, creating these internships with elected officials, with community organizations that do advocacy work for, you know, a particular client population. But beyond just Stony Brook, a lot of schools have started doing this in the last couple of years. Um, And that's great all across the country. It's not just in New York State. So if a school isn't doing that, that you're enrolled in, then ask them to do that. Ask them to reach out and make that connection because that's the place to start is through an internship. That's how you meet people and that's how you decide if you like what you're doing. I mean, people do that every day with clinical placements. We should be doing that with, you know, legislative and political placements too. Okay. So can you describe the day uh, in the life of a social work intern who's interning at a political organization or or political candidate or office, I should say? Well, No, partially, because not every day is the same, but I can tell you some (laughs) things that they would do. (laughs) Because no two days are the same for any intern, but there's so many different things that they can work on. Um, So every elected office, um, especially here in New York State, has caseworkers on staff. So these are usually not social workers, but, you know, someone with a degree in something else that provides casework services for the elected officials. So constituents will call up depending on the level of government and say, I'm having issue with my Medicare, Medicaid, my SNAP benefits, my public assistance. The roads aren't being paved on my street. I need help getting, you know, this fixed. Um, and the caseworker will work with the, you know, whatever government agency deals with that and the caseworker and the constituent who called up. Um, to get whatever their issue is resolved. And that's a huge part of any elected official's office, whether legislative or executive. Um, That's a lot of the work that needs to get done. Policy research is a big thing. I have a few interns this year who were in state senators' offices. And, you know, it's great because in New York, this fall semester they're not in session, and the spring semester they are. So in the fall semester they get this aspect of casework and, and other areas. And then going into the spring... You know, the, the senators and assembly people are going to be up in Albany and, and legislative research needs to get done on policy, whether it's, 
you know, the legislator themselves trying to propose it, something that they need to vote on. We need to look at this this policy from all aspects and figure out who it's going to help, how much it's going to cost, all of that. And then event planning is a big part of, and community organizing is a big part of legislative placements. So elected officials will have events. I've had, you know, students do events for, you know, a senior resource fair, a special needs resource fair, a... Um, uh, opioid forum for parents and children so all very social work issues that we usually deal with on a one-to-one basis um, but now you're dealing with on a level of helping multiple people at once and usually hundreds of people at once. In your opinion what keeps social workers from running for office? Uh, So many different things. (laughs) I mean it's with social, it's just with social workers. It's like for other people too. You know, they they think all politics is corrupt, and you know, for every level of office, you need to raise a couple of million dollars. And we look at presidential elections as our standard bearer when they shouldn't be, because no other election is anything like that. Um, even even congressional elections aren't like that. There's 435 members of the House, and we're not paying attention to two-thirds of those elections, the way that we pay attention to presidential elections. Most elections don't cost that much money, especially outside of New York State. Um, You don't really have to raise that much money, but I think the money aspect of it is really what keeps social workers out of it because they don't want to ask people for money. Um, But there's races, you know, here in New York, outside of the city, like library board and school board. Um, You know, those bodies are managing million-dollar budgets of our tax dollars, you know, slashing social workers from school budgets because they can't find the money for it. And, you know, it, it, it's our money and, and social workers aren't there to advocate for their own positions. What You know, not, not that they're the one actually holding the position in that school, but there's no social worker on the board to say, hey, this is a really important service. You know, we need this for our kids. Why are we firing our school social worker? Because we can't find the money. Like, let's find it somewhere. Let's figure out a way to do this. But we're not represented in government the way that other people are. So our positions tend to disappear from government payroll. And that's, that's, you know, a great point that you brought up because social workers bring a unique perspective to any aspect of society in which we happen to foray into. Uh, and so it stands to reason that if there's a decision being made about social workers in the schools or social workers in libraries or, you know, more funding for, for, for opioids or, or, or substance use disorder, it would seem that you would naturally gravitate toward the social worker because they're usually on the front lines of all those areas and aspects. But now when you get up to the, the, the levels of macro, you know, we have elected officials as high as, you know, in the United States government who are actual social workers. Yes. Um, and that, that, that could be really a good role model to, to show somebody that, you know, number one, it's important to get us in all aspects of society and government. But number two, to kind of look at, okay, well, how did they get from graduating with the MSW all the way to being an elected official? Yeah. So what kind of trail... Uh, Uh, or pattern is that. Everyone's story is different. If you're a social work student and you don't know who Senator Barbara Mikulski is, like you need to look her up now because she was the original. So she was the first Democratic woman elected in her own right to the U.S. Senate, meaning 
she wasn't appointed to fill out the rest of like a deceased spouse or father's term. So she, the first time she was elected to the Senate, she was elected because it was the first time she ran. And she started out as a community organizer in Maryland when the government tried to put a highway through two different communities. And then she ended up running for the city council, a congressional seat in Maryland, and then she ran for the Senate in Maryland. And she was there from 1987 until she did not run for re-election in 2016. She decided to retire. Um, so she has an MSW. She was a community organizer, and she ended up in the Senate. Senator Simina out in Arizona is a social worker and a lawyer and has done many different things before you know, running for Senate. She was also in Congress before she ran for Senate. So everyone's story is a little bit different. Here on Long Island, we have you know, two county legislators, one in Nassau and one in Suffolk, that are both you know, in elected office, both have MSWs out in Nassau. Um, legislator Debbie Mule was a clinical social worker for many years out in Suffolk. Legislator Han was not a clinical social worker. She has always done the more macro side of social work. And the social workers do too. Some of them come from clinical backgrounds and they see the issues that are affecting their clients and they want to make bigger change. Some of them just have always tended to gear more towards the macro as myself who's never sat in a clinical session with anyone before (laughs) so you know everyone's different and everyone has their different path it's not something that you have to be born and bred for which is back to your previous question about you know what keeps social workers out you know it's not something you have to be born and bred for it's not something that your mother or father had to do for you to get there there's no one particular route to you know elected office everyone starts in different places some people start on their local school boards and library boards congresswoman maloney out in um mccarthy i'm sorry out in nassau she's retired now her first run for office she was a nurse and her first run for office was congress and she won and stayed there for a couple dozen years so you know everyone's different and everyone has their own path and you kind of just have to figure out where you know, you fit into it and what issues you care about and the issues that you care about should dictate the office that you're running for. Um, Because Mm -hmm. if you really care about school policy, in York, town and county government are not where you should be because you can't affect school policy there at all. You should be on a local school board or, you know, running for state or federal government. But if your issue is the opioid epidemic, at this point, you can really go anywhere because all levels of government are really dealing with that issue in particular. So it really, it's up to you personally, what do you really want to work on and where do you want to be? So now there's a big push. Um, We know about battles being won slowly but surely here in New York State, state legislature and ASW fighting really hard to make sure there's social workers in every school and that's starting to happen it's, you know it's not fully implemented but again that's a political movement the other big thing that's been happening all over the country it's a growing phenomenon and you know i've done some uh, stories done a story on this previously and a lot of research social workers professional social workers in libraries so then my question to you jessica where would be the best place for a social worker to position themselves to affect more libraries 
including money in the budgets to hire professional social workers. So let me just say that there are more social workers in schools now, but unfortunately those payrolls are being moved to nonprofit organizations, which doesn't make me happy because those school social workers should be employed by the schools, not only to better assist their clients, but to receive the pay and benefits that go along with being a state versus a nonprofit employee. Um, and that that's what tends to happen with social work positions is that we have them, we get eliminated from the budget, and then the way that government can resurface them without having to deal with the backlash of just leaving them out is to, you know, pawn those salaries off on nonprofits who, you know, tend to pay less. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this particular situation with school social workers especially, I have very strong feelings that those people should be employed by the school districts. Nonprofits do a lot of great work, um, you know, and they're something that are a staple in our society that provides services to a lot of people. But when you're talking about schools and children, you know, those the school social workers should be there all day. They should be assigned to one building and they should have small caseloads instead of moving around from building to building and having other responsibilities beyond the children. Um, but the libraries, too, are a great place. It's In New York, it, it, this is so different everywhere. And on Long Island, it's even different. We have, li- we have library boards, like we have school boards. So we have people who we elect, and most people don't realize this. Our library boards and our school board elections are at the same time. They're the third week in May. Interesting the, point. Yeah, they're the third Tuesday in May every year all over Long Island. We elect our school boards, library boards, and we pass our library board budget and school board budget. So at this level of government, the voters actually have a say in what what we're going to spend money on. Um, and we talk about the school budgets a lot. There's usually every year a couple of budgets that will fail on Long Island, that will be controversial for whatever the reason is. The library board budgets don't get talked about as much because we're not spending as much money as school boards and it's not directly affecting our children's education. Um, but it's still there and it's still on the ballot and people still vote for it. Um, and that's where we make these decisions is the people who are serving on these library boards, they make the decision of what the budget's going to look like when they, you know, on the ballot and then the voters get to decide if it passes or not. Library board budgets tend to not really be controversial, but if we, you know, have people who are on the library board who are, you know, sympathetic to the need of these community social workers being placed in library boards, we can get more positions for social workers in libraries. And, you know, I obviously want social workers to run for office. I am a social worker. I, you know, it's it's the group of people that I work with and try to motivate, but that doesn't mean that you know, a library board is incapable of passing a budget with a social worker salary in it just because there's no social worker on the board. But what it does mean is that social workers need to go to these board meetings and explain to the people that are on the board why it's important for a social worker to be there. So you can be in either role. You can be the elected official that is making these decisions, or you can be the person that is advocating to the elected official why this is important. It doesn't take a social worker being on the board to have it happen, but it does take someone explaining to the board why it's important. So just having some kind of sphere of influence is really important. The other thing that, that you mentioned about the, you know, the, the elections and the, uh, the school boards and the library boards elections happening at the same time. It seems that, you know, that would be something that the community would be served, better served to be more aware of so that they could that. And, and I could see that being a real crucial role that 
a social worker could play as far as to go out and let the general public know, hey, coming up on two weeks, you know, they're voting for the school board and they're also voting for the library. And uh, if you think social workers are a vital part of what, you know, services you need to have provided, then you need to go and make your voices heard. So we have positioned ourselves always to be uh, on the forefront of any movement. And so with social workers being in the political spectrum, where do you see us moving into? What's the next frontier you see us moving into? Is the logical conclusion of the last like 100 years of social work is this is the place that, you know, some of us need to be. Not, I mean, not everyone again, like everyone has their place in this. And if, if the only thing that someone remembers to do is to vote on election day every day for the rest of their life, I will be a happy person. <laughs> Because everyone should be doing that, but that's where we need to go. I mean, if we, you know, want the funding for the programs that we know work and that we know we need to better serve society and to make the changes, there has to be more people in office that are willing to fight for them. And I've never met a better advocate than a social worker, especially a social work student. Such good advocates. Well, (laughs) on that note, I have to say, I've never met a better advocate than you, Ms. Jessica Mitchell. For those of you that might just be tuning in, uh, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. And today, my special guest is Ms. Jessica J. Mitchell, Professor Mitchell, of Stony Brook University School of Social Welfare. And I have to say, I've seen her in action before. And if you're thinking about running for office and you're really undecided, then certainly you shouldn't get exposed to Miss Mitchell because she will convince you to run before you walk out of the room. So that passion is what uh, I see that drives and motivates you. So when, when we talk about uh, students in school and then moving into the social work realm, um, what um, existing supports are there for social workers who are looking to run for office? So there's so many things. The NASW has been committed to getting more social workers elected for many years now. Um, and the NASW in most states and the and the national NASW have PACE organizations that can donate to political campaigns, that can endorse candidates for office and do every year. Um, so there's that help. There is a whole movement that's been going on, um, you know, in the social work field for many years now around political social work and getting students more, you know, involved and getting students motivated to do what they can do to affect social change. I, since I was a student, there's only been one year that I missed. I've been going to the campaign school for social workers at UConn's for the last like five or six years. Tell us a little bit about that. And it's great. So the whole point is to train social workers to run for office. But even if you're not interested in running for office, it's a good training to go to to teach you how to be a better, you know, employee of a campaign, volunteer of a campaign, to just understand how campaigns work, to meet other social workers who have worked on campaigns, run for office, and social workers that are elected to office. They've been having this conference Oh boy, I think next year is the 26th year, but don't quote me on that. Um, and they've been doing this for the longer than 20 years, and there are so many social workers in Connecticut that are elected to office, um, past speakers of their assembly, mayors, state assembly people, state senators, um, town council people. It's a 
beautiful state that if I wasn't such a New Yorker, I'd move to just because of all of the elected social workers. Almost their entire congressional delegation employs social workers in their office as community outreach people, caseworkers. Um, and it's a great conference to go to, to meet, to network, and to learn how to actually run for office. I teach an elective in the spring on this topic and we all go to the conference together and my students love it so much that every year I have a couple of students who will, who will repeat and they'll just keep coming to the conference <laughs> because it's such a good experience and wow. so interesting. Um, so that's a great resource. They there has For the last couple of years there's been this movement in social work. Um, and you can go online. It's votingissocialwork.com, yes. um, which has great resources on how to register your students, your clients in a nonpartisan way. Um, you know, and it's, it's part of the social work profession. And the code of ethics is very clear that social workers should and do have a responsibility to be politically active. The code of ethics doesn't, you know, it specifically says in a nonpartisan way, you know, but we need our clients should be voting just as much as we are, yes. whether that's our students, whether that's, you know, the, the people that we work with one-on-one -on -one for however, whatever you're doing. Um, but everyone should be voting. And, and that is what our responsibility is as social workers is to get people out and get them mobilized um, to go out and vote and, you know, making the resources known, uh, providing information, um, making sure that they're educated on, you know, what their rights are and so that everyone gets a chance to exercise their franchise. Uh, and it's so valuable and uh, we have to make sure that we as social workers continue, you know, to be on the forefront of making sure that uh, there's community organizing simply around, as you said, getting people out to go and vote nonpartisanly so that their voices are heard. Um, because at the, at the end of the day, all the candidates that I ever ran into want to get reelected. So there's issues that are important to the general public. Um, social workers are usually on the forefront of knowing what those issues are. And so therefore, it seems that they also will be very you know, adept at being able to educate their constituents or the, the people that they serve on what's the best way to make sure that they get that point across when there's those town hall meetings. And I know a lot of the uh, elected officials, they do town hall meetings, which sometimes more turn out to be photo ops, but you know, social workers have a unique way of making sure that people raise the issues that need to be raised. I think that there has been a change too in the way that, it, you know, that more and more elected officials are doing actual town halls. Um, you know, Congressman Swazi was elected in 2016. He's been having town halls since he got elected and like real town halls where he comes and answers questions. Um, you know, or we'll talk if no one has questions. Um, Senator Gorin, too, has been doing these for the past couple of years, not just on the campaign trail. He was elected last year. He's done, like, at least six this, this just since January when he came into office and, like, real town halls where people can come and, like, have a conversation and not just take pictures. Um, so I think that there is a change, and, and Long Island's changing, too, and the elected officials are changing, and... You know, it's been going on for a while. I think even Senator Kaminsky out in like Western Nassau had been has been doing them since he was elected too. So, you know, it's important, but you have to know where to go to get this information, and you have to pay attention, you know, in order to get the information. But these are the kind of people where 
it's pretty simple too. They're very open, like go on Facebook and like their pages, go on Instagram and like their pages. And, you know, they post the flyers of when they're hosting these or other events, because even if it's just, you know, even if they're just hosting, you know, not just, but if they're having like a Narcan training, they're going to show up. If you have a question, show up and ask them. But more importantly, if they're, even if they're not there, ask their staff. Their staff, nine times out of ten, is going to have more information anyway because there's going to be a couple of staff members and one's going to be focused on this area and another one on this area, and they kind of get into the minutiae of what's going on, whereas the elected official is very spread out and busy and constantly at meetings and doing everything. Um, so I always tell my students, you know, if you're meeting with an elected official and you think that you're meeting with the elected official and you show up and it's their staff, don't be mad because their staff is going to do the work for you anyway, mm-hmm. most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually had a couple of students in the spring. They used to have this assignment where they would have to go meet with an elected official. And I had a couple of students who lived in Congressman Zeldin's district. And they're like, we scheduled an appointment. It's on a Friday. And I was like, okay. I was like, it's a congressman, though. Probably meeting with the staff. And they came in the next week and they're like, no, we met with Congressman Zeldin. And I was like, that's awesome. I was like, but that's very rare. So it was really cool that he did that too. Um, but yeah, you did, don't be offended if it's the staff. And then how, how, how was uh, the follow-up done to educate the general public on how to follow up? So uh, would it be more likely that you have a social worker who's connecting with the staff of the elected officials and kind of educating the uh the, the, the general public, okay, here's who you need to reach out to. Because I think, the, you know, the, you know and, and I guess maybe when I made the point about the town halls is that, you know, an elected official may show up and, you know, and, and then they, 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 you know, say a lot of things that they mean. And, but then when they leave, you know, what's the key to following up to say, okay, he said or she said that they're going to make sure that we have, you know, increased recycling in our community. What's the best way for the follow-up from a social work standpoint? It's the follow-up with the staff. I mean, that's really what it is. And a lot of I've seen a lot of elected officials do this at town halls, too, and it works really well. Um, if they have, you know, if, if a constituent has a question and it's something that's going to be more of a long-term project because, you know, they can say they want to work on recycling, but that's not going to get done tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to follow up with that and work needs to get done. Um, the elected official will usually just point out, like, this is my staff member, go get their email and the, phone, the office phone number from them. Um, you know, and if they don't do that, ask you, you can ask in a town hall, like, who should I follow up with? Because it's not going to be the elected official. I mean, they're running around meetings up to Albany, down to D.C., wherever county, you know, the, the county seat is, you know, they have to run to. So you really have to rely on follow-up from the staff. But they're usually, you know, they're the experts too. They have to become just as educated as the elected official is um, to be able to effectively do their job. So that's those are the people that you're usually going to follow up with. Okay, all right. So uh, just the last thing uh, before we wrap up. So you know, we are coming into voting season, um, and so you know, what types of uh, information might you be able to provide about you know resources to you know educate people about? where to how to when and who about the you know voting and, and what districts they're voting in and things of that sort. So it's so important this year we have early voting for the first time in New York State. Mm-hmm. It starts next Saturday, the twenty sixth. Um, you have to go online to see where your county is 
you know, putting the early early voting locations in Nassau and Suffolk. Um, you can vote at any of the early voting locations. The state actually made the investment and bought iPads so that everyone, you know, can actually sign in. In most counties now, they'll be able to sign in on an iPad, um, which is great because that means you can go to any voting location and not have to worry about it. New York City, they are going to have designated polling locations for like certain areas that you're going to have to go to. So you have to go online to your board of elections to figure that out. So you can just, you know, go online and type in Nassau County, Suffolk County, New York City, whatever your county name is, board of elections, and it'll bring you, most of them have it on their homepage. It's in the legislation that it has to be like widely publicized. Um, so every one that I've done so far has been on their homepage. So you can vote from the 26th up until the Sunday before election day. Um, and if you're a traditional voter and you want to go vote on Tuesday, November 5th, you can do that. The polls will be open from 6 to 9, 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. at your regular polling location, wherever you usually vote. Um, so, but you can go early too. This doesn't affect if you're going to be out of town for a couple of weeks and you're not here for early voting either, you can go get an absentee ballot for that also. Um, if not, just remember to show up. And if for some reason you're not registered to vote yet, do it now because the presidential elections are next year. You know, they're all important. Local elections, I think, are even more important because yes. these are the people. Your town council person and your county legislator and all of these people, they could literally be your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You could live next door to them. The town council districts and in the areas where we have town council districts are so geographically small, it could literally be your neighbor. So I I think it's so important to remember to vote in these and all elections. We have a lot in New York State. Thankfully, we're condensing them. We're only going to have one primary day now. But for now, we'll focus on this election and just get out there and vote. If you're going to be away, you can go next Saturday and vote. It, you know, you have two almost two weeks before election day where you can vote. So it's great. But for this, if I'm correct, for this coming election next month, you have to already be registered. We're past the registration right, date. Right. So but. Not, but you can register for the next the big general election next year. Yeah. The other thing I think is really important to say, employers are required by law to give employees time either before, after, yeah. during, to go and vote without losing time, without being penalized. So I think that's really important to, to know. Uh, a lot of the um, places of employment are posting that. They're sending it out in emails. They're putting it in memos. Uh, HR is doing a big move uh, to let people know that, you know, you do have time that you are allowed to go and vote before or after without penalty. It's really important, yeah. But now that we have this whole period beforehand, too, we have two weekends. We're on a Saturday and a Sunday. You can go vote. So... You know, if, if if you don't want to have that conversation with your employer, try to find somewhere. And there's requirements that they need to be open at night, not just during the workday, um, you know, for early voting. So, you know, there's there's so much more time now to, cut, to, to squeeze it in beyond just the one day, mm -hmm. which is great. I, I Every state should have this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, well, Ms. Mitchell, I want to thank you for taking out time of your busy schedule, uh, professor, political champion, and all the above. You've provided a wealth of information for our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This is your host, Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. To replay this program 
Log on to SoundCloud.com and type Kelson on the air into the search window. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production. And I will fight until the death to make sure every citizen, whether they're Green Party, whether they're Freedom Party, whether they're Democrat, whether they're Republican, whoever has that right to vote, because it is the essence of our democracy.